You're listening to Girls Gone Wild. This is episode 290 with Ben Greenfield. You guys, Ben Greenfield has been probably one of the first podcasts I ever listened to way back in the day. I even reference him as the godfather of podcasting on this episode. Uh, But he's way more than that. He's a coach. He's an author. He's all things fitness. I feel like whenever I need an answer, (laughs) anything health related, I go to Ben Greenfield. We recorded this episode in Tahoe at the Mind Pump event. We had a great conversation with Ben, hanging out at the house and uh, getting into all things health and fitness related and talked about his family. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Remember to support the podcast by supporting unpluggedfloatessentials.com. The discount code is GGW. And enjoy this interview with Ben Greenfield. I'm not happy with the way my voice sounds. Thanks, Doug. Just in general or in this I, moment? I, well, in general, but especially today. I should have should have gargled. Gargled more. <laughs> with some uh, vodka? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hate to see because I can't see the people that are, because of the sun. Yeah. Can see, can I, is there a shade I can pull down? We can, we if, can, if not, it's fine. I'll just like, change you know what, actually, I'll, I'll angle, if you don't mind, I'm going to just like sit yeah. right here. There we go. I'll just be all the way down here. Yeah. <laughs> like spread out. I do. I have like all my pillows. That's nice. Yeah. We're like, we're like Romans with all of our pillows. We yeah. I know. Fanning it us. Really, some, it really yeah. feels some good. Giant palm leaves feeding and us feeding grapes. us grapes. Pouring what, olive oil over our head. What time did you get up this morning, Finn? Yeah. Oh, I woke up to the sound of someone puking in the parking lot. Where? Well, I'm staying right over by the race. You know, we're all oh, the racers kind of coming. Yeah. And, and I, I rolled over. Oh gosh! Uh, yeah, I guess it was probably maybe like six a.m. or something, and uh, all I could hear was. Bleh, oh, bleh. that's so pleasant. You know, Not- people get nervous before the race. Yeah, you know, the race this morning started like seven seven fifteen. Mm-hmm. So everybody was on their way up to the race. Now I'm kind of stupid about the Spartan race because I've I don't really know a lot about it. So what do they have to do? On. I know. I'm sorry. So, uh, an, as an example, today. Uh, World Championships, it's a 13 to 16 mile race. Mm-hmm. They don't really tell you, you know, but it's, <laughs> it's in that approximate uh, range. So mm-hmm. Spartan Race has four different distances. They've got a sprint, which is kind of like the equivalent of like a sprint. Uh, triathlon is a good, good uh, analogy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Super, which is about eight to 10 miles. And that would be the equivalent of like, a, like an Olympic distance triathlon. A beast, which is what people are racing today, which is what they race for world championships, which is actually why I'm not racing world championships this year, because I decided that for my health and my hormones, I want to quit doing long, long, long runs and just voluminous training Mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. So once I found out that, that there was no option to race, like a, like sometimes I'll have a sprint world championships too. But once they toss that, I decided I was going to race in the, it's like the world's fittest CEO challenge. That's tomorrow. Okay. And that's the eight to 10 miler. And then they have the one I did last year, which is ultra. And an ultra is like a double beast. It's a marathon of, of Spartan races. So that would be like the equivalent of the Ironman of Spartan. Right. And throughout the race, you're hauling sandbags. You're doing barbed wire crawls, you know, spear throws, bucky carries, uh, wall climbs, monkey bars. I like it, honestly. Like when I when I got in. I mean, Spartan, it's like your backyard, basically. It's like my backyard. When I got in Spartan from doing triathlon, I had an aerobic engine that could go for days. Yeah. But I couldn't climb a rope to save my ass, you know, and, you know, my back would get thrown out carrying these heavy buckets and sandbags. So the functional fitness component is, is pretty significant. And furthermore, 
uh, even compared to something like CrossFit, what I like about it is there there is that stamina component that's that's pretty intense as well. Even though, like I just alluded to, I think some of the longer stuff has some has some some physiological bounce back. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I actually just this morning published my blood work. And since I stopped doing the long running and, and the longer racing, and you know, I'm, I'm, I've just been racing like super short stuff this year. My testosterone has gone up by 600 points. Wow. I'm at almost 900 on testosterone right now. And I was at about 300, 350 when I was doing the long stuff last year. I was in the 200s when I was racing Ironman. So it's crazy, like just what happens from from a hypogonadal standpoint, or like a you know early onset andropause standpoint, and how you can basically reverse that to a certain extent if you're an endurance athlete by just stopping the chronic cardio. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and and you can still maintain some amount of of stamina. Like the way I do it is is I have more of an ancestral approach, right? You engage in low level physical activity during the day. So I have a walking treadmill and, and I'm you know stopping to do kettlebell swings and jumping jacks during the day and just kind of moving all day long. You know, I'll, I'll take a good 15 to 20,000 steps during the day, do a quick high intensity workout at the end of the day. And I can still maintain pretty good endurance during that without beating the body up with say like a lunchtime run or because right. you have that baseline that you yeah. can draw from. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. the human body is, is innately pretty good mm-hmm. at endurance going for long periods of time, provided that you give it enough calories and enough water i mean we can we can chase down and persistent hunt just about any animal on the face of the planet so a lot of people overtrain the stamina and the endurance component and don't do enough for the strength and power and the speed yeah but you get a lot out of doing these races like people do even though people may know that it's like okay long long distance training isn't the best for us we're kind of starting to realize that isn't there something just fucking fun about it? That's the thing. Is, <laughs> like, that's what I struggle with. Like, I'm running yeah. a marathon in November. I have no interest in, like, doing marathons forever and ever. But I'm like, ah, oh, just this, there's something kind of fun about doing crazy shit if like that. If you have your own personal Mount Everest that you want to climb, whether it's a triathlon or a marathon or a Spartan race or whatever, then I think that just just purely for the sake of building stress resilience, going out on an adventure slaying a dragon right like humans have this inherent desire to live out this story where we've we've conquered some kind of enemy quest right yeah a quest the heroes yeah. the hero's journey the gospel story you know like we we can we can trace a lot of of uh of lore and story and tradition in many cultures to this idea of achieving something big in life and honestly, in our coddled post-industrial cubicle-laden era, you know, sometimes we do want to get out and do something epic. So mm-hmm. I have nothing against that. Mm-hmm. But there are people who make it a lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. I know people who are just, they get sucked into like the Iron Man thing. You know, mm-hmm. I've got friends who look like, you know, they, they look pretty fit in spandex, but you, you walk up to them up close, they look like the grandma from something. Totally. Married, they're just totally they're oxidized. Just, yeah. And it's because they they just get looped into this, mm-hmm. this circuit of, of hunting down the perfect race. It's mm-hmm. like if you did your marathon and you you felt like between miles 20 and 24, you bonked, you had to walk way more than you wanted to, you finished, let's say, 25 minutes slower than what you wanted, your temptation when you finish it's is, to be like, hey, I'm going to sign up for next year. I'm going to write this check, sign up for next year. I'm going to do this better next year. And you can get sucked into that vicious cycle where, mm-hmm. you know, and I know a lot of Ironman triathletes like this, for example, they're still trying to hunt down the perfect race. They're still trying to, say, qualify for Kona. And, it, you know, it, it goes from slaying a dragon 
to literally just spending your whole life slaying dragons and beating yourself up. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an art and a science behind doing just enough to where you're living this adventurous lifestyle in which you're, you're checking off epic things, but you also have that balance with some amount of, of rest, right? The body responds to press pulse cycling, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and working and then recovering. Mm-hmm. And this idea of just, you know, spending your entire life pursuing these, these ultra endurance events. I, I think that the, the cons outweigh the pros from a health standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I think about that. Cause I'm like, I, I haven't ran, I haven't run a marathon in like 15 years, but it was one of those things where it's like, it was more about the, um, the Everest for me. It's like New York city is, was one of the most ex- fun experiences of my life when I was yeah. 25, not 25 anymore. So, um, I don't, but I worry about that, like getting sucked in afterwards being like, Oh, what if I want to do it again? Don't worry. Yeah. I'll stop yeah. you. Okay. I, thank you. She'll be I, my, I, I, th- <laughs> I think one of the most important things that you can do, especially if you live in the physical culture, right. And you're surrounded by the physical culture and fitness and nutrition and races and workouts and games and competitions is to introduce into your life things that give you that same challenge without necessarily beating up your body, like an open mic night that you're preparing for four months from now or stand up comedy or impromptu mm-hmm. or, uh, uh, cooking, uh, you know, such as you know, preparing yourself to prepare a seven course meal or learning a new language. There are ways to, to slay dragons, so to speak, without it necessarily being all, you know, physical. I'm just going to trash my body mm-hmm. type of activities. I mean, th- there's a lot that we can, we can scratch that itch with, I just think it's, it's, uh, you know, especially for, for folks like us who are just so surrounded by the fitness culture, it's yeah. easy to just choose a fitness option right. as, a, as a dragon you're going to slay. Yeah. Well, and I mean, living in Denver, I live just outside of Boulder. Like you go into Boulder and it's like, you're driving on the highway and world-class triathletes are flying just by flying you and they're by. like, yeah. you know, $15,000 bikes. And it is, it is so easy to just see that all around you and be like, well, that's the thing to do. I guess I'm going to go sign up for an Ironman, even though I can't even run a 5K right now. You're so right. Then, I, I do a lot of, of consulting with athletes. You know, I go mm-hmm. through their, their blood work yeah. and their biomarkers. And there are certain, certain hot spots, certain pockets of the country where the number one reason that people come to me are, you know, adrenal or hormonal or fatigue issues due to primarily too much overreaching or too much overtraining. And Boulder is one of those places where I find myself, you know, dialing up Boulder numbers pretty frequently, Mm -hmm. you know, Boulder, (laughs) uh, Park City, Fort Fort Lauderdale, Austin. There are like these pockets where people go to train. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, when, when you go out and do your hard training session and then the next morning somebody calls you and says, Hey, we got a group going out at at 8am. You want to join? us and then you join that group and somebody takes off on the front and you want to go you know go smash it with them and you can get sucked into this vicious cycle right next thing you know you've just done eight workouts in four days and you're right. like all right well then i guess i'm now i'm going to get up and go to work at six o'clock tomorrow exactly. morning and exactly yeah. but to their credit uh boulder is is almost like a blue zone hmm. boulder does have a disproportionately high number of people who have a long period of time and the the reason, once you isolate for all confounding variables, you know, the, the affluence there 
and the, the spandex clad triathletes <laughs> and the the good restaurants uh, right the organic like, uh, access to yeah, the organic good, food good, yeah, I, and, yeah. I, I, my, my offices are yeah, Keon, the Keon are, my offices are, for Boulder and Keon so you know I, I eat at a restaurant they're called Bloom and Beats it's like a paleo oh yeah restaurant yeah. places great There's places like that <laughs> and uh, but once you isolate for all those variables they actually attribute this disproportionately long life in Boulder to the altitude Right, you're, huh. bre- you're breathing less oxygen, so there's less throughput in the electron transport chain of the mitochondria. You're producing fewer free radicals, <laughs> and and so it, it's almost like when you when you slow down the metabolic rate of someone just slightly, mm-hmm. you actually cause them to live longer. Right, like the lizards you know, that go tech, yeah, exactly. into hibernation in like the caves. A, uh, a hummingbird should die a very early, horrible death because they're they're flapping their wings so yeah. often. Hummingbirds actually have some pretty cool built-in like uncoupling proteins and antioxidants, like endogenous antioxidant production that shuts down all the free radicals their mm-hmm. mitochondria are creating due to that excessive physical activity. So they actually don't die as early. Like nature has some built-in mechanisms to keep some of these highly metabolically active animals from dying. But in humans... The idea is that if you restrict like constant sucking in of high amounts of oxygen, you can actually live longer. It's a, you know, it's a, it's the reason that like a hyperbaric oxygen therapy chamber or exercise with oxygen therapy, right? Like breathing hyper concentrated amounts of oxygen. Technically, if you were to do that all the time, you would accelerate aging. But by doing brief spurts of it, it's actually known as an anti-aging tactic because just like exercise and heat and cold and radiation, you get this hormetic response to that brief exposure to huge amounts of oxygen. And then you, you step off of that and Interesting. you have less oxygen and there's actually a, there's, there's a built-in endogenous antioxidant production that occurs because your body learns how to deal with those higher amounts of oxygen. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I always that love going to sea level. I'm like, I can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then I come back after three days and I'm like, oh, this sucks. (laughs) Like we're going to, I mean, I guess we're about the same altitude here, so that won't really matter. Yeah. The difference this time, but you always step off the plane on DAA and you're like, oh Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why. why So we should stay in Colorado. Right. We train high, live high. Yeah. Uh, What what I try to do with a lot of my athletes is create a scenario where they can train high, live low so that you recover more dramatically Mm -hmm. after training high because you actually are able to recover a little bit better with that slight increase in oxygen availability that's not excessive and then any speed sessions are done training low so that you're able to actually get the turnover and everything that you need that you can't get higher altitudes interesting so in an ideal scenario you have like some kind of a, a hypoxic training device right so you can do your your longer training sessions training high or have you know certain sessions that are done training high then you live low and you do your speed work low and that's like the sweet spot for performance Okay. That's well, crazy. Yeah. Keep that in mind if I ever decide to be an endurance athlete. Yeah. <laughs> we did that. Have you ever done the Manitou Incline in Colorado Springs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many times? You've probably yeah. done it like 20 times. I've, I've only done it three times. Okay. It's, uh, I guess for people listening, it's it's this these yeah. stairs. That, what are they? Like almost a mile long? Isn't it? I, it's, a mi- it's a mile long. Some, I don't even remember the numbers, but it's insane. Stairs. Just actual stairs. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. straight up. hand over hand. Like definitely some spots where you need three points of contact. You have to yeah. bear crawl yeah. it's super steep and then you have the option of either descending the stairs or, or going kind of boogieing and there's like what is about a three mile trail, trail. Run mm-hmm. to get down mm-hmm. so yeah i uh, i don't remember what my time was 
going up to the top. It was not like Apollo Ono did it. I think he holds the record. Apollo Ono, the the former yeah, Olympic yeah. skater, and I think he was something like eighteen minutes. Oh my uh, gosh! He may have been less than that. We definitely average um, an hour. Yeah, <laughs> just to give people, yeah. just to give the normal did, people an, an hour. I did like... about twenty four and a half minutes the last wow. time I did it when we, when we had a little <laughs> Keon meeting. I had my whole team at Keon go out there and do it. Yeah, uh, the, the the steps. And uh, aren't your lungs then, just? Do you just have lungs of steel? You know what? I just like count to a hundred over and over again, going up those stairs. I'm like one, two, three, four, <laughs> five, and then I count again. I count, and I and I don't look at the top. Yeah, you look at the top. It just it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very a scary. Mind fuck mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You look at the top and you. And well, then like you get they have the, you have the false summit and you're like a I'm false there, summit and then you're like, where mm-hmm. you think you've made it, That's and the then worst. there's at least like 500 more stairs. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. But but for anybody who hasn't had a chance to you know speak of of ticking off. You know, epic things in life. It's yeah. like that's an epic that, thing. That, that's a fun one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The reason I asked is I, uh, when we were doing it, speaking of this whole oxygen thing, is I, we saw a guy the last time I did it have one of those oxygen masks on mm-hmm. that re- is it re- dis- a, restricts a, tra- a training mask. Yeah. So what does that do? It restricts well, uh, your oxygen. Uh, like he was running up yeah. with one of those. In I'm like, what is that? Making you look really cool. Like yeah. Bane. Yeah, you look like Bane when you're wearing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, uh, it used to be called the Altitude Training Mask, and they changed their name. It was either called the Altitude or the Elevation Training Mask. I know the owner of that company, uh, Casey Danford, and he made the decision to just change it to the training mask because he realized after many people called him out on it that it doesn't simulate altitude. It doesn't Mm -hmm. actually reduce the partial pressure of oxygen in the air that you're breathing as an actual hypoxic training device would, you know, like these masks that will actually decrease the amount of oxygen available to you. Typically there, you know, this is that this would be a mask that's hooked up to a tube and there's an oxygen scrubber and, you know, these are like expensive units this training mask it increases the amount of co2 in the dead space in front of your mouth because you're you're breathing out co2 every time you exhale Mm -hmm. and it builds a bunch of co2 in the dead space of that mask so you build a higher tolerance to carbon dioxide and you also build a higher tolerance to uh what would be called resistance training for the lungs so it's not restricted oxygen it's basically just resistance training so you you get stronger diaphragm stronger inspiratory and expiratory muscles Mm -hmm. But there's not an actual stark increase in something like red blood cell production or erythropoietin production or anything you'd expect from hypoxic training because it's not hypoxic training. But at the same time, there's some pretty good crossover to doing high-intensity training. It's it's the same concept as, as you know, doing your sprints with a weighted vest on and oh, okay. taking the weighted vest off and all of a sudden Got you it. feel faster. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's basically what it's doing. So, I mean, it's a... It's a, it's a decent option. I have some athletes who can't afford, for example, to get a hypoxic training unit and, you know, I'll have them, for example, do an airdyne set where they'll go 30 seconds mask on and then you pull the mask down and you do 30 seconds where you're giving yourself enough oxygen. Then you pull the mask back up and you can simulate some of that vasoconstriction, vasodilation, high oxygen, low oxygen that you'd get from like a hypoxic training device or, or again, what's called exercise with oxygen therapy. But it's almost like like kind of the poor man's version of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sounds awful. So we were yeah, talking a little bit. Yeah, it does sound awful. We were talking a little bit yesterday about um, optimization versus adaptation, and so with all this talk and all these ways to kind of like optimize your performance, um, should we be doing that or should we be focusing on adapting? Like, why do we have all these tools and tricks and things to like make us sleep better? And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's almost getting too much, or mm-hmm. or is it? Mm-hmm. What do you mean when you say adapting? Like just in our natural environment, um, 
adapting to the things that come at us without additional tools, Mm -hmm. like without the help of tools. Mm -hmm. So you would say that, for example, living in a post-industrial era in which we're blasted with like artificial light and blue light at night, somehow figuring out a way to just mentally get yourself to the point where you can sleep at night despite being exposed to all that versus pulling out the blue light blockers. Exactly. Exactly. Screen protection devices. Yeah. yeah. So what what you're saying is, and that, I'm not taking a stance. Yeah. I'm just saying that that's yeah. kind of an arc. That's like a, <laughs> a that's, that's a conversation we had yesterday, where right. it's kind of like, why do we have all this stuff? Well, well unfortunately, we see very little evidence that, for example, the the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is responsible for initiating melatonin production at night, is going to somehow upregulate melatonin production after several years or perhaps after several generations from an epigenetic adaptation standpoint to the point where it produces melatonin even when blue light and artificial light has been present in high amounts. Every single study over and over again, we only see that artificial light and blue light at night screws the that SCN and decreases melatonin production and the human body simply freaking doesn't adapt. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. hasn't. We've mm-hmm. never seen any study where that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you could similarly say... Well, what would be another example in addition to to sleep? Let's say, um, you know, adaptation to, to modern process vegetable oils, right? We don't see that the cell membrane ha- can do a good job at this point taking rancid vegetable oils and using those to actually form a cell properly and have the right amount of cardiolipin on the mitochondrial membrane and have the the correct ratio of protein receptors on the cell surface and the right amount of phospholipids on the cell membrane when you have a high intake of specifically damaged polyunsaturated or even mm-hmm. damaged monounsaturated fats. It just doesn't happen. We just don't see that. And hence, you know, that's a situation where, no, we don't adapt and say, hey, I'm just going to keep eating vegetable oils until my body gets used to it and they can make cell membranes <laughs> Got it. the right yeah, way. Yeah, 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 You optimize and... Like man has screwed right. us in that in that arena. Right. So and, you can't and, expect the body to be like, we're going with this. Right, exactly. There are, there are certain things that, that I think that are just natural ancestral mechanisms that... Mm-hmm. That at this point, I haven't seen any evidence that the human body can, from an evolutionary standpoint, adapt to. Right, the biology is not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm curious, though, like that last 1% where, okay, you are not eating vegetable oil, you are, you know, using your blue blockers and whatever other things, that, tools that you just, you've decided to use. And then you get to that 1% where it's like, okay, should I be taking this fish oil or that fish oil? Should I be doing these supplements or those supplements? You know, should I be drinking my mushroom tea or my coffee and those little choices and so much time especially in this world that we live in is spent by people obsessing over those little details do mm-hmm. you see that that can really make an impact for people or when you once you get to that point is it like listen absolutely Ab- absolutely let me use two of the examples you just gave okay. uh, the, this supplement versus that supplement if someone and many people a lot of people have this issue they're either heterozygous or homozygous for an mthfr mutation yeah meaning that that they simply do a poor job methylating and they need higher amounts of a natural form of folic acid like methyl tetrahydrofolate and they grab the multivitamin from the super supplements bargain bin that's a synthetic form of folic acid 
someone with, with either one of those mutations, especially a homozygous mutation, will take that synthetic folic acid and it will get converted into the inflammatory substance, homocysteine, which is associated with, for example, cardiovascular inflammation. Mm-hmm. We've actually compared- re- have recently been talking about that in terms of miscarriages. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Neuro- neural tube issues. Exactly. So you take that same person and they decide that they are going to investigate and make a decision as much of a pain in the ass as it is for them to actually research and decide what they're going to do rather than just like looking at the bottom line or or the price or what happens to be convenient. And they're going to use a multivitamin that has a natural form of methyl tetrahydrofolate in it. Mm -hmm. So that all of a sudden gets absorbed by the body properly and does not result in homocysteine production. You could say a similar scenario for fish oil, right? Fish oil in its uh, ethyl ester form uh, in a transparent bottle that's oxidized, that's rancid, that isn't packaged with natural antioxidants like vitamin E or vitamin A or astaxanthin or even balanced out with proper what would be called parent-based essential uh, fats like uh, uh, borage oil or flaxseed oil or something that would allow you to not build up an improper ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acids, well, you could argue that eating that bad fish oil is actually worse for you than not taking a fish oil at all. While taking the good fish oil, there's actually a lot of good research behind fish oil and its ability to, for example, increase HDL, lower triglycerides, Mm -hmm. uh, lower ApoB, lower cholesterol particle count, and lower cholesterol particle size. And so, again, that's a scenario where, yeah, it actually does pay off to be nitpicky, and you could even argue that by not being nitpicky, you can screw yourself over. Would the most ancestral way to do this in an ideal scenario be to eat wild fish every day and have some really good dark leafy greens for that folate in a natural form? Um, Yeah. But unfortunately, we live in an era where a lot of times it's difficult for many people to get their hands on that stuff. Sometimes people cal- people's calorie turnover, especially athletes, dictates that they need higher amounts of omega-3 or higher amounts of methyl tetrahydrofolate. Um, sometimes there are scenarios where the only nutrition that you have access to is nutrition that's been somewhat nutrient-stripped due to modern farming pra- practices or mineral-depleted soil. And so there are certain scenarios you know, unless you're living in a, you know, pristine Himalayan mountaintop or, you know, like me, I live in a pretty, I I have a pretty sweet setup in Mm -hmm, Spokane. mm -hmm. And when I travel, I've got like eight bottles of supplements in my bag from, you know, like the probiotics that replace the the natural fermented foods I have at home that my wife makes. I don't take probiotics when I'm at home because I have a refrigerator full of fermented foods. Mm -hmm. I travel with fish oil and either like this dark liquid bottle or this stuff called super essentials fish oil. And I travel with that, but it's very rare that I take that at home because I have this, you know, can of sardines or anchovies with lunch and we have like nice salmon at dinner and, or like a, you know, good lake trout. Yeah. Same thing with like a, I, I use a thorn multivitamin when I travel because it's got methyl tetrahydrofolate in it, but I don't take a multivitamin when I'm at home very rarely, unless mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in a really heavy training block where I'm just, you know, training a lot and need, need added nutrients. Mm-hmm. But at home, you know, I go out to the garden and I pick all these dark leafies, kale and bok choy and Swiss chard and put all those in a blender and I make myself an amazing smoothie that's chock full of natural forms of folate. So, you know, sometimes the scenario depends as well. Yeah. Now I want to talk, I don't want this to be an ad and like a planned ad, but I do want to talk about Keon because I feel like the, you know, with all the supplement companies out there, what was your impetus to starting that with, it's like, it's already, most of the time people see it already exists. So why would I do it? But Mm -hmm. you clearly wanted to do it better. Yeah. So what was that? Um, So, so with Keon, 
I mean, my, my entire business to a certain extent has been built upon eating my own dog food, mm-hmm. right? Like for example, <laughs> uh, you know, what I, I used to do a lot of online, what we would call in the industry, in the, in the, in the online industry, information products, mm-hmm. right? Digital products mm-hmm. that you pay and download. And usually it's a collection of PDFs and videos and audios. Uh, when I was training for Ironman, I did not want to train for 40 hours a week. So I figured out how to train eight to 10 hours a week. And wrote out my whole training program, wrote out my nutrition plan, wrote out the workouts I was doing. And once I had all that written out, I thought, well, what? there's got to be at least 100 other people in the world who want to train this way, who want more time for their social life or their hobbies or their career or whatever. So I created this thing called the Triathlon Dominator Plan. But then three years later, I wanted to put on muscle because I, w- I felt like I was too skinny as an Ironman triathlete. So I created another program that was all based on weight training, very minimal amounts of cardio. It's called Tri-Ripped, right? And this program was designed for the, in- the endurance athlete to put on muscle and still go out and do something like a triathlon. Uh, another example would be uh, I hurt my IT band. And my IT band was just messed up for like six months. So I pulled out all the stops. You know, I, I researched, you know, ultrasound and PEMF and different forms of Graston therapy and different ways to mobilize the IT band and, you know, stabilize the patella. And I created this whole program that I followed for about six months and my IT band syndrome went away and never came back. So I created the, the bulletproof your knee IT band friction fix program. And, and so for a long time, all I was doing was scratching my own itch, eating my own dog food, and then turning that into something that yeah. other people could benefit from. Well, then I started doing things like, you know, taking colostrum to allow my gut to be less permeable during exercise, particularly in the heat. Uh, or to help to, to heal a leaky gut. I started to use, rather than high amounts of carbohydrates during my workouts, uh, amino acids and fatty acids. I started to experiment with higher doses of fish oil. Um, I started to, what would be one other example, I, I, I figured out that I didn't get sick when I traveled if I did a squirt of oil of oregano into my mouth in the morning and then in the evening. And every single time I'd find these things out, I would rather, rather than going to Amazon and buying something from Amazon or giving my money to, to you know one of these supplement companies where I can get this stuff, I'd rather create my own because I'm using it anyways. Mm-hmm. I'm making videos and talking about it on podcasts of me, you know, hey, use colostrum. I'm like, I'd rather people be using my colostrum that I formulate rather than sending them to Amazon, frankly, because that's just smart from a from a business standpoint. Right and now, you right? are literally eating your own dog food. Now I am literally eating my own dog food. You walk into my into my cabinet, you know, and in, in, in my my pantry at my home, and there's not like a bunch of Jero and now formulas and you know and and standard process and you know all these other companies, it's mostly just key on stuff because pretty much every, anytime I need to scratch an itch, I work with a formulator and create a new product. Like right now I'm working on a, on a longevity formula because I'm really geeked out right now on how I can decrease the rate at which my telomeres shorten and enhance the health of my mitochondria. So I'll create a longevity pro- product. Um, I'll take it every day. If there are 500 other people on the face of the planet who also want to take it, awesome. Because I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm helping people. Mm-hmm. I'm feeding my family by making supplements and getting higher margins on them. You know, mm-hmm. you send somebody to Amazon, Amazon's going to pay you what four to, to 8% to actually be like an Amazon affiliate. Whereas when I make a supplement, you know, if, if, if someone buys it, yeah, I mean, like I got to pay for the raw ingredients and pay for the formulation and pay for the shipping and the customer service team and all that jazz. But you know, I, I still, I, I have a better career making right. people expect to pay money for supplements. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so with Keon, I mean, really, it's just like, that's, that's my playground. That's my wheelhouse. I love to research you know, compounds that, that help the body. And, and originally I wanted it to be a fitness company, mm-hmm. like, consider- like, like everything. Like I travel with this hollowed out foam roller. That's got like a, a resistance band in it and a jump rope and a little therapy ball and some katsu like blood flow restriction bands. And I wanted that to be like the, the Keon travel fitness pack, but the decision made essentially my, my CFO and my COO of the company, they're a little bit smarter than I am. Like, I just like to make cool shit and then slap it out there and Mm -hmm. I could have like a hundred SKUs. And, and they told me, you know, Ben, like you're going to stretch the entire team too thin. You're going to be creating all these products that there's no cash flow to be able to, to fulfill. We're going to be a back order for half our SKUs. We don't want a hundred SKUs. We want like, Mm -hmm. you know, five or six flagship formulas. So at this point, it's just a supplements company. Although deep down inside, I kind of want to. Sounds like make a other like stuff. fitness bed roll. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. Okay. Here yeah. I yeah. Like that was my original idea. Was I, I was like I just want people to only go to Keon and get everything like yeah. like their fitness. So so now what we've done is if you go to my website to Ben Greenfield Fitness, I have like a Ben Recommend section. Mm-hmm. That that was our uh, that was our compromise. So people can go to Ben <laughs> Recommends. You can get all the stuff I recommend that you can't actually get at at Keon because. Um, I'm supposed to be a big. I'm supposed to be a big boy, and I'm, even though I own the company, uh, I I respect the, the the advice of people who have built bigger companies yeah. and and who who know a little bit more about this than I do. But from so, so someone who's a consumer and who's in fitness, I um and I've been following your career forever, and so when you created that, it's like I trust you because I trust your knowledge, and I've been you know I kind of have this like. Um, vision of you as the as one of the experts in the fitness industry. So I think that that is also really important where, you know, Claire and I get emails all the time from people to like push their products and we're like, who is this person? Yeah. Where do they, like, where do they stand? Where do they come from? Like that, I don't know, like random protein powders and like, what is it? What is this? And where does it come from? And who are you as a company? So I think that's really important too, um, just to know, like, as like from the consumer standpoint, is like a I, lot of consumers don't realize that, like, they don't realize how many people, like, every single day, somebody comes to me with a checkbook yeah. and says, "Hey, three thousand bucks, post this to your Instagram channel," and that's freaking like tempting when somebody yeah. comes to me, with some, you know, like like some new uh, CBD or some kind of whatever, like a fitness product or anything, and. I, I put things through the ringer. Like my garage is constantly full of crap. I just throw out like my mailman could probably have whey protein powder for the rest of their life. If they were to just like go through my garbage can. Cause I just throw shit out yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. But people don't realize in the fitness industry, how many people get bought off? How many people get bribed? Like how many times you're like, Oh, you'll give me free shit for a year. All right. I'll, I'll talk about you on my podcast and act yeah. like you're the bee's knees. When all I, the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also I think that that kind of goes back though to what I, my question at the beginning of like, how much does it really matter that last 1%? If you are the type of person who's like, you know what, every protein powder is the same. I might as well just promote the one that pays me the most money. I think that's the mindset that it's very easy to have of like, well, you know, who cares if this one's yeah. the way these are processed or whatever, they're going to give me twice as much to post about this. So mm-hmm. what's, sure. What's but that's what I'm saying. They're, they're not all the same. Oh, completely. Yeah. yeah I agree yeah. with you. Um, do you consider yourself a biohacker? Yeah, I think so. I mean, based on what the definition of biohacking has become from what it originally was, which was, you know, originally it was, there was a group of folks called grinders and they treated their body as what is called wetware. 
and then they would install things that would be considered hardware. For sure. example, magnetic implants underneath the fingers that allowed you to interact with your devices using magnets, very similar to Minority Report. Uh, luminous tattoos placed underneath the skin for God knows why, just to look cool. <laughs> um, implants in the ears that allow you to enhance hearing, but I mean, they're literally like implanted into the right. ear, like surgically implanted devices. You know, chlorella injected into the eyeballs to enhance night vision. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that true grinders, the true original biohackers did, and they would laugh at the idea that when somebody puts on blue light blocking glasses, they can call themselves a biohacker. Mm. Right. But wow, frankly- so there's like an elitist group yeah. of biohackers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, pretty much anything that allows you to enhance human biology in some way is considered biohacking, like, mm -hmm. you know, putting butter in a blender and blending that up with your morning cup of coffee is called biohacking. I call that cooking, right. but because it allows coffee, you know, the cholesterols in coffee to cross the blood brain barrier and give you a little bit more of a pick me up and gives you some butyric acid for your gut biome. All of a sudden we're, we're taking coffee and we're making it somehow hacked to enhance human biology in a way that we wouldn't be able to get from a normal cup of coffee. So mm -hmm. you call that biohacking or you could right. call that training mask trick that we talked about earlier biohacking because technically you're causing the body to do something it wouldn't be able to do without the assistance of that hack. Right. So, I consider so it to yeah. be like manually overriding some sort of thing that your body does. Yeah, manual overriding or uh, doing something that allows you to concentrate, something that usually would be good for you or allow you to achieve an end um, in, a, in a faster, more efficient manner. So for an, an example of that would be, um, you know, like photobiomodulation, like a lot of people are using these infrared, you know, near infrared, far infrared, red panels of light now. And you can mm -hmm. get near infrared, red, far infrared, full spectrum of light from the sun, right? But I personally, you know, blogger, I'm an author, I'm a podcaster, I don't get to spend as much time outside in the sun as I would like, so I have this big light panel in my office, and I flip it on it and blast my body with infrared, and I'm getting the same dose as I'd get from spending several hours out in the sun without needing to go through all the time and mm -hmm. quitting my job to go out and spend as much time as I really should be spending in the sun. So that's a, that's a biohack that just allows me to get more in less time. Mm-hmm. And adapt something that used to be a natural thing in all, everybody's lives all the time to the current state of your... Right. But it's never as good. It's never as good. Right? Like my, an earthing and a grounding mat or a PEMF device. Right. They're pretty... They're, they're useful. You sleep a lot better if you're, when you travel. If you have like a little portable PEMF device, you could put underneath your mattress or, you know, I've got one I put on the back of my head. I just had it on a few hours ago, you know, I, when I was when I was sleeping, a little Delta mm -hmm. sleeper mm -hmm. kind of device. Uh or, um, you know, like a, like a, a structured water filter that generates structured water that's supposed to be similar to, to spring water. Well, if I go outside and I camp on the ground, like I can feel that grounding effect yeah. way more than I can with a PEMF device that's simulating that. Right, you're when dipping I your drink, water bottle in the stream. Right. Yeah. When I drink from my kitchen sink versus when I, like I'm high, high up in the mountains and I'll do like a, you know, literally like my water bottle into spring water. Yeah. I still use a water filter just because you never know. Right, you don't want to get dead animal higher up there yeah. in, the, in the creek. Or, you know, you go to findaspring.com. It always tastes a little bit more alive. But some of these biohacks at least get you kind of close. Yeah. Kind of close to what you might get in nature or, or what we might be looking for from a from more healthy or ancestral standpoint. So is that why people want to biohack? I think that some people want to biohack for the right reasons to be able to get more done in less time 
and increase their efficiency of life so that they can, this is the same reason I want to live a long time, achieve their purpose in life more, uh, more fully. Like mm -hmm. my purpose in life is to empower people to live an adventurous, joyful, and fulfilling life. And anything that allows me to do that legally, ethically, and uh, and and still be able to you know spend time with my family, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Like like I will I will certainly do that. But then there are some people that just do it because it's cool, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And uh, I think you do need to understand what you're doing. Anytime you're doing anything to your body, you need to understand it. Um, like an example of that would be, you know, TDCS, transdirect cranial or stimulation. I think I just fucked that up. It's transdirect current stimulation, something like TDCS, that. TDCS. Yeah, yeah, TDCS. You know, these devices that you wear on your head that increase the activity of motor neurons and somehow enhance your ability to engage in skill acquisition after you wear them or decrease your rating of perceived exertion during a workout. Some people will just put that on and not even know what they're what they're doing and you know when you increase motor neuron excitability if you've got a tendency towards let's say you know epilepsy or something like that you could you could actually hurt yourself yeah so i, th I think sometimes people need to do a little bit more self-education yeah. before they biohack just because biohacking is is cool mm -hmm. i think that that's probably the case with just about anything if somebody sees this new shiny toy they're going to go out and, and do it or buy it or try it or take you know, that pill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Take that pill, buy that, can, you know, it, you know, I think it can apply to anything. Buy that new pair of shoes that just came out. Do you need a yeah. 500th pair of shoes? No, you don't. I think living a responsible life involves educating yourself mm -hmm. about like, like, you know, back, back to supplements. Yeah. Right. Like, why are you taking that supplement? And if somebody says, I don't know, then I think that you need to do the hard thing. You need to, to pick up your, your, your load and, and carry it in the same way that you'd go and do a hard workout and actually make your, make some smoke come out your ears and educate yourself mm -hmm. about anything that you're doing in life. I think that a lot of people should have a more intimate understanding of their body and how it works and how their food interacts with their body than they actually do versus just blindly supplementing or blindly eating some diet that might not even be appropriate for them. So when you find a new thing or something comes across your desk or, you know, your feed that you're like, well, that could be interesting. Where do you start with the research process? Like what's PubMed. your criteria? PubMed? PubMed. I mean, I, I, I do not profess that you always have to find a double-blinded clinical research study on a certain concept before you engage in that concept. Right, There's something to be there. said for N equals one experimentation. Sure. You know, for example, you know, uh, my friend, Michael Tyrell, who's a composer, he makes these, these soundtracks that like he has one called love life and lullabies and another one called whole tones. And he tunes his instruments to a Hertz frequency. That's a little bit different than what's, what most instruments are tuned to because Apparently, the frequency that you would hear in like rock music is slightly disruptive to the way that cells vibrate. And when you change the frequency of the music, the cells oscillate at a different frequency. And it's kind of like the you know the stories of Masaru Emoto praying over water and the crystalline structure of water mm -hmm. changing. Or when you think feelings of peace and love and joy, you somehow actually change the way that your cells operate. You know, you have authors like Bruce Lipton and Biology of Belief or Joe Dispenza and the placebo 
effect or David Hawkins and healing and recovery. And they talk about this stuff, but it's very rare that you would ever find anything on PubMed that says that if you change the frequency of music, your cells are going to operate more efficiently. But all I can tell you is I feel freaking amazing when I meditate with his soundtracks in the background or I get a massage and I have my massage therapist like put on that music really loud during a massage or I'm really stressed out and I put that music in my MP3 player and just play it as I lay in bed with my earbuds on. Mm-hmm. And so there are some things where I, I I can't find any research on PubMed, but I just know it makes me feel good. Right. So I do it. Um, but it, in cases where there are actual... Um, I guess like bigger biological implications of doing something. That's that's where I look into the research a little bit more heavily. You know, I, I was going to say like with the music example, if that turned out to not be true, is no harm done listening to a different type of music. Right. Whereas if you start to take something, I mean, to your fish oil point, to your MTHFR point, you right. Without like, yeah, just trying it and seeing how it yeah. works might be harmful. Yeah, creatine, right? Like when you go and look at creatine, it's one of the most well-studied molecules in existence. And there's very little evidence that in the absence of, you know, nephrological issues or kidney disease or, you know, high blood urea nitrogen or something like that, that it's going to cause excess kidney stress. Right, so so I'm okay with taking five grams of creatine a day. If I could find some studies on PubMed that really did truly show super increased blood urea nitrogen, really high creatinine, and some you know uric acid issues or, or other you know kidney damage from taking creatine, I wouldn't take it. Mm-hmm. So there are some things that that require a little bit more investigation. That you know because you. You only have a couple of kidneys and you, know, <laughs> you need it's like, yeah, it's like, so, so music versus something that you, that you swallow and consume, right. you know, it's kind of a different ball of wax. <laughs> totally different. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you also created a journal, correct? Yes. What's gratitude the name of journal. the gratitude journal? It's called the talk- Christian gratitude journal. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I used to have a journal that my friend makes. It's called the five minute journal mm-hmm. and I liked it it involved writing down something that you're grateful for. And then you have like a a positive affirmation for the day. I felt that there was a little bit of a disconnect with what my morning habits were at the time. What I mean by that is I read my Bible or something devotional or something spiritually uplifting in the morning. I just, I, I, I feel amazing when I start the day focusing on some really positive messages, um, whether that's God's word or whether it's uh, something that that's uh, spiritually enlightening, whether that's a devotional. I like this little booklet called Our Daily Bread, which are just these little uplifting stories. And I would I would read those, but I felt like my journaling practice didn't allow me to kind of like write down what I'd learned from those or even dwell upon those. And I felt like if I was able to write down what I read that I would read with more intention rather than just kind of staring through my eye boogers and, you know, seeing right. the blurry writing, kind of skimming through it. You knew and, there was a reading comprehension exercise yeah, coming I know, up next. I, yeah, exactly. When you know <laughs> you have to comprehend what you read, you're reading with a little bit more intention and mindfulness. And so one question that I began to ask myself was what did I learn from today's reading? And I would jot that down and just write down one sentence. What did I learn today mm-hmm. from today's reading? And then the other issue that I had was I felt like starting off every day with the whole positive affirmation. I'm good. I'm great. I'm wonderful. Gosh, darn it. People (laughs) People like like me. me. (laughs) I can do this. It felt a little bit selfish. And Mm -hmm. I thought, what if I start off every day thinking about other people? 
Who can I pray for? Who can I help? Who can I serve today? Who can I be there for? Just one person. And so I started writing that down too. So I just had like a separate piece of paper I'd write these things down on. So what did I learn today in today's reading? Who can I pray for, help, or serve? And I continued to write down that one thing that I was grateful for, right? Uh, the sunshine coming through the window, the sound of the birds outside, the wonderful dinner I had with my wife last night, you know, in any of those things that just came to mind is something I was intensely grateful for in the moment. Um <laughs> eating your own dog food, right? Yeah. So, so it comes back to that. I thought, well, I, so I'm answering these three questions. What am I grateful for? What did I learn today? Who can I pray for, help, or serve? I should turn this into a journal. So I did. I actually talked to my friend of the five-minute journal, and I said, hey, look, I love your journal. I also don't want to be an asshole friend and, like, create my own version of it and, like, compete with you. So, right. so I actually partnered with him, and, and he helped me produce this gratitude journal. It's called the Christian Gratitude Journal. And so at the top of each page, in case you don't have time to, to read something spiritually uplifting or read the Bible, there's just like one of my favorite verses. My mom and I, we picked out all our favorite verses from the oh, Bible. Oh, that's awesome. And we put them on the top. You so and your enough. mom did this for the book? Yeah. So it's that's enough great. to last for half of a year. So it's like a six-month journal. And then there's a bunch of instructions and stories from me in the beginning, as well as kind of like a pact that you write for yourself. So you commit to writing in the journal for, for the entire time. So it, there's almost, it almost kind of like influences you to, to continue writing in the journal yeah. each day. And then there's just those three questions. What am I grateful for? Who can I pray for or help or serve today? And what did I learn from today's reading? And sometimes it literally is just what you learn from that little verse at the top of the page because that's all you have time for. Right. And then there's a bunch of notes pages in the back. And sometimes I'll find myself flipping to the back and, and writing a note to myself, something inspirational or something I want to change about myself or... Um, you know, for example, I'll, I'll write down some extra verses or extra stories or, or, you know, sometimes I'll go in the back and just kind of work on it a little bit extra, but, but that's what it is. It's the Christian gratitude journal. My kids do it every morning. My, my wife does it. I mm -hmm. do it. Um, and people, people seem to like it. And I think it's a really positive way to start your day. Do you practice actively Christianity? Is that your background and how you're raised? And that's like always been a constant. I do. I do. Um, so I I try to go to church on Sundays when I'm when I'm around and and, and I'm able to. Mm -hmm. um, I, I pray every day. I you know I do that gratitude practice every day. Mm -hmm. um, you know I, I I really focus on on practicing a lot of the beliefs and values that I think are important in Christianity. Most importantly. Um, you know, I think the two greatest things in life that you can do, and I tell my children this, are a, a belief and a love for and a trust in and a hope in a higher power. And mm -hmm. I just, you know, I, I distill that into two words, just loving gods. And then real real care for uh, for your fellow man and, and fellow woman, for, for other humans, and, and giving of yourself to other people. I call that loving others. So I think the two most important things you can do in life is to love God and love others. Mm -hmm. And if you, it, you know, I even position my purpose in life to empower people to live an adventurous, joyful, and fulfilling life. I always kind of couch that in terms of, you know, well, at the same time, loving God and loving others. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, if me empowering people to live a more adventurous life involves me, like, uh, I don't know, an example would be uh, leaving my family for six months to go climb Mount Everest. Yeah, I'm going to empower people or inspire people to live a more adventurous life, but it's also not very loving towards my family. Right. And, and so that doesn't really fit into my category of loving God and loving others. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, um, I, I do practice Christianity. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I'm in psychology. I'm a therapist by day. And so I, I see a lot of people um, kind of having this idea of um, everyone's just striving for happiness. Everyone just wants to be happy. And I think that there's this false sense of uh, getting there. Mm-hmm. And so how do you incorporate um, just the trials and tribula- tribulations of every day and not, I guess, sugarcoating that that shouldn't be a part of life? Right? Like, you, how do you attack the, the shit that comes at you? It's like gold, right? That's how gold is made through fire. Like, it has to be refined. It's how fitness is developed by going through something hard and then recovering from that and coming back stronger. If life were easy, we would all just be these useless blobs right with with no mental fortuity and and no physical development and no spiritual development because we're not challenged by some of the stoicism that comes through trials and tribulations when we look at at spiritual disciplines many of them are correlated also with the things that increase cellular resilience and longevity and that's because doing some of those hard things in a stoic manner uh, lends a, a great deal of character development, physical development, and spiritual development, like fasting, like meditation, like uh, you know, study and devotions. Um, a lot of things involved. Just you know, it's it's kind of difficult to fast. It's difficult to meditate, and those are the kind of things that make you stronger. In the same way that some of the shit that life throws at you also makes you stronger if you deal with it and and bounce back having learned from that experience mm-hmm. so I, I don't think that your life should be set up with the expectation that it's not going to be hard and there's not going to be hard things that you need to do because frankly that's how you become a better person that's how you build character um and and, and so I, I think people who who have an easy life you know people who who just constantly have a silver spoon in their mouth, like they are weaker of character and weaker of fortitude. And that's not the person you want standing by you in battle because they haven't actually experienced, you know, what it is to, to, to sweat and to, to bleed and to burn and, and to have to push hard. And, you know, I spent almost 10 years in the fitness industry, you know, working 12 hour days in the gyms and, and, you know, get home and be up till two or 3 a.m., you know, programming websites and doing my, my online training. And, you know, I, I put in a lot of hard work, but in the end, I think that gave me a fantastic work ethic. And I don't mm-hmm. think I'd be where I am right now if I hadn't gone through that period of my life where I definitely wasn't sleeping the eight hours a night that I go for right now. And, and I definitely, uh, you know, I was eating more rice and beans and, and, you know, tuna fish out of the can. And, and I think that, that there's a certain time in life when you have to, you have to do the hard thing so that you're able to develop the character and the knowledge and the wisdom to be able to go forth and actually achieve your purpose even more fully. Mm-hmm. So for you, those hardships are part of the process rather than something that gets in the way of the process. Right. Exactly. That's, and I want, it, that's part of the journey. It's part of the hero's journey. Right. right. Like there, there, there's right. some, there's some, some definite barriers and obstacles and enemies and battles that you have to fight. You and that we have to, ex- have to slay. right. We have to you expect know? that though. I think that, right. well, at least maybe I'm just speaking from my own experience, but there's times when you kind of glorify like the perfect life and, and think that that's where you need to, what you need to strive for. And I think what we need to strive for is, um, knowing that the shit's around the corner, like yeah. the monsters around the corner. We the just, shit's always around the corner. And, 
you know, not, not to like Bible thump, but in returning to Christianity, I know that like my, my perfect rest is waiting for me. Like when I die, I get to go into just like perfect rest. And I don't know what it's going to be like. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know what heaven's going to be like, Mm -hmm. but I would imagine it's just like, just like earth, but perfect. Mm -hmm. Right. Like imagine (laughs) like the most beautiful forest that you've ever walked through, you know, on a morning hike where you don't have a billion emails that you got to get back to and respond to. It's just like, oh, I could just like walk all day and enjoy this amazing planet and pick an apple from a tree and just like lay out in the sun and maybe go swim in a lake and come back and then sleep and wake up the next day and do it again. Claire thinks right. it's Starbucks and Target. Yeah. <laughs> and Walmart. Target? I don't think Walmart's going to be in heaven. No, probably not. Yeah. Target maybe. Yeah. So, so I'm okay. I'm actually okay with putting up with a lot of the shit and the hard work in life because yeah, right. I don't consider this life to be all that there is. Yeah. My uh, twin brother recently said, this is the worst it's ever going to get. Why are we all trying so hard? Yeah. Like referring to life on yeah. earth. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I, and again, I think that the best thing that we can do, and this kind of comes down to that concept of loving God and loving others, is to like spread the message that there is a perfect rest. Like that's part of, of you know what what I do in life is I, I really truly want to not just inspire people to live a more adventurous and joyful and fulfilling life, but hopefully bring as many people as I can into that perfect rest. You know, mm-hmm. with me, like that's you know. Again, like like that comes down to, you know, the whole piece of like evangelism and being like my own little missionary and that Mm -hmm. type of thing. But, you know, I also try not to be some, again, Bible thumping. I don't think, but it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like I think that, and you're in a space that that's a very, it's probably not, I wouldn't say an easy thing to talk about. No, it's not, especially not in this era of... Um, like shamanism and polyamory and you know, all these things that seem to be kind of like picking up steam and especially even physical culture and fitness culture. Like there's a lot of stuff that, that are, you know, a lot of, a lot of hedonism that, um, that I have to, I have to speak to a lot of the time and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it is difficult. Do you ever feel like you have to filter that out? I think that everything that was placed on this, this, this wonderful planet was put there for a reason, mm-hmm. including psilocybin, including um, well, LSD is synthetically made, but but somebody got inspired to make it, and it's you know it's a useful substance, and you know marijuana and 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 ibogaine and uh, you know, all all of these these plants and psychedelic substances have a purpose, have a time, and have a place, and I have nothing against them, mm-hmm. right? But when used as an escape. Right. When used as a way to not just dissolve the ego, but to try and and run from your problems and somehow rely upon a plant or a medicine to to escape or to somehow create a different mindset for yourself that you probably should have tried with a more stoic approach instead, right? Like I think anybody that goes to like an ayahuasca retreat, let's say like they're going to go do four days of ayahuasca in Peru. I think they should go fast for four days first in complete isolation mm-hmm. out in the forest, 10 miles from their house before they buy a plane ticket to Costa Rica and go take ayahuasca with a shaman, right? Take the stoic group first, go just be with yourself fast, meditate. Be That's in, really be in silence yeah. and solitude. And see what happens. I think yeah. a lot more people would have breakthroughs and fill just as many pages in their journal and perhaps even have just as much of an ego dissolving experience going that route and placing the stoicism before the hedonism. And to me it just makes logical sense. Right? You you go and exercise and then you rest. 
right? You go and, and go through all the hard travel and then you enjoy the vacation. Like, mm-hmm. And so I, I think that, that too many people turn first to almost like that escape route of totally. plant medicines before they actually take the more stoic route. Mm-hmm. You just answered this a little bit, but how do you reconcile that extreme self-focus that is required when you live in that world of kind of biohacking and N equals one with the, you know, that love God, love others and don't just be, mm-hmm. you know, don't have that egocentric approach. Like how do you yeah. reconcile self-focus the, the, versus yeah, egocentric? Sure. The, the better my brain works, the longer I live, the more efficiently my body functions, the more equipped I am to live my purpose in life. Right. If I am simply biohacking so that I can fuck better and live longer, that's a pretty selfish pursuit. Mm-hmm. But if I'm biohacking so that I'm a better, more complete, more equipped human, able to help more people, I think that's well worth it. I think that could even be um, that that that, that uh, pairs quite well with, for example, that that Bible verse about treating your body as a temple. Mm-hmm. Like I've got a temple, and I want to be freaking beautiful and, mm-hmm. and work perfectly, and just be shimmering and sparkling, and and be uh, be an example of of what a human body and brain and spirit is supposed to be. And if biohacking, especially in a modern post-industrial era where we are assailed with so many uh bio we're, we're attacked with so many biological assailants you know that that uh, that give us brain fog and leave us tired and and cranky and with sore joints and you know bad guts and and just a decreased general ability to be able to live out our purpose in life you know i'd i i would rather use better living through science and biohacking along with you know studying up what our ancestors did and you know, eating the right diet and the right supplementation program and the right movement program to allow me to achieve my purpose in life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not just about doing this to be a better you. It's about doing it so that you can serve others in full capacity. I read something recently that I liked that brought up that Bible verse and it said, um, you know, the, I think that people have been misconstruing this your body as a temple verse by saying, you, you know, that requires that you sort of, put all your focus into your physicality. What, but what you forget is that you don't worship the temple, you worship at the temple. Mm-hmm. And so how can you create your body to be an instrument that allows you to have that experience rather than putting your body at the center of that experience? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good perspective. Mm-hmm. But I think it's true. I think that a lot of times people will use that to say, well, your body is a temple and therefore it, you need to be, have the optimal BMI, have all yeah. your blood markers, you know, and like, and if not, you are, disregarding this, you know, this thing you've been given. And I think, you know, there is something to say, like you need to, you know, it's your obligation, not obligation, but you need to take care of your body as part of respecting yourself and respecting your creator. But at the same time, it's like, there's more to it than just if you don't look or act or function this way, then now you've yeah. failed at your spiritual pursuit. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at a guy like Joel Saladin who has an amazing book called the marvelous pigness of pigs in which he goes into this idea that, <laughs> Yeah, you can certainly point at the modern Christian movement and say there's a whole bunch of people, you know, decking out a church potluck with Twinkies and GMO corn and Doritos and (laughs) fat fat preachers who are going to die of heart attacks because they're treating their bodies like shit and a congregation who doesn't really care at all about something like, you know, the church Super Bowl party at night and, you know, 
no, nobody's wearing blue light blocking glasses because, you know, A, it's nerdy and B, you know, who cares? That's that kind of stuff can't affect sleep. But I mean, like, uh, and, and this all sounds silly, but ultimately when you step back and look at it, it's a whole bunch of people who say that they want to help others to, you know, to, to, uh, to have better souls and better spirits and, you know, they want to save the world and preach the gospel message, but they're treating their own temples like shit. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I think that's, that's a, that's a problem too. I, but at the same time, we can certainly get tempted towards this selfish pursuit of the attainment of a better body and a better brain, six pack abs and, right. you know, and, and, and have fa- that be the focus. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And have that be the focus versus why am I doing this? Like what's yeah. the ultimate purpose in life? Yeah, I think that's a huge, very important distinction that a lot of people, um, you know, we talk so much about the difference between just body image and where does that come from and and how can you love yourself while also wanting to get better? Like, how can you exist in that space of accepting where you are, but also still striving to get better? And because for a lot of people, the act of saying, I want to improve implies I don't like where I am now. And I think that just that underlying, that's a, I don't know. I like thinking about it that way with that underlying belief of like, all I'm trying to do is get to a point where I can better serve my purpose. And I'm, that's not saying that I can't do that where I am and I'm going to do it the best that I can where I am, but I also am going to continue to try to get better at it. And if in doing so I become fitter or, you know, whatever might happen along the way, then that is going to be a happy byproduct of me pursuing my ability to impact the world. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. I like it. I want to end with um, talking about your family because I know you have two boys. I know you have a wife. How yeah. do you? We we often like to talk about um, just like marriage and how Under difficult tax. it is to like Under raise a family. <laughs> um, so how do you how do you balance everything that you do with your with your family? Oh, I hate and, the word balance. Oh, sorry. Let's I know we do word. not. We hate that word balance too. <laughs> I caught myself using it when we talk about how much we hate it. I know. Maybe what are some what are some of your favorite strategies that allow you to feel like you can um, you know interact with your family in the way that you want to? Mm-hmm. I'll give you three. The first is that family dinners are a must, no compromise, and we have actually, despite the Ayurvedic principles that you're supposed to eat a decent breakfast, very large lunch dinner like a pauper, hopefully pretty early, and then you know go to bed three hours after dinner or so. We've shifted our entire lives so that our entire family, every single night, can have dinner together. We come together. That is when we, we break bread. We talk about our day. We do our, our gratitude practice and share what we are grateful for. We hang out. We sometimes play Texas Hold'em. We sometimes play <laughs> table topics. We sometimes, you know... As annoying as it is, because I'm usually kind of hungry and I want to eat, and the kids want to play something like Pictionary. Like mm. that's my least favorite. Game. I play at dinner because I want to eat, and yeah. it's like every two minutes I got to draw something, and all I really want to is eat. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, we we have our family dinners, and they're like they're like full on like fun family dinners. Where mm. We're at our big table for like an hour, but we don't eat dinner until like eight or eight thirty because everybody's running around at tennis and jujitsu and mm-hmm. and, and pia- how old are your piano. Kids? They're ten. And so they're just yeah, twin boys. The but we, and we're both, right, twins. We're yeah. both twins. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. We come together at the end of the day. Yeah. And we celebrate the end of the day. And then frankly, you know, like I, we, we go to bed pretty soon after that, right? Like I play them guitar and I, uh, I hang out with them for a little while, read a book, say a prayer, boom, go to yeah. bed. So family dinners, 
Those are a must, and I think that those, those that's one thing. And it doesn't have to be dinner. Could If your family structure is such that family breakfast works out better, um, great. But but one distinct family meal together, that's one. Um, number two is I bite the bullet, and even though it's expensive, I've realized, especially over the past couple of years, that the pros of taking my family to many places that I go, mm. whether to speak at conferences or to attend events or to um, even like go to races, uh, I bring my family with me a lot more than I used to. Um, it, yeah, there's extra plane tickets, extra hotel costs. Yeah. It's so much harder to go through security with my kids and wife versus <laughs> me just like breezing through. Yeah. Um, it's, it's harder at night because a lot of times I'm busy and I run reply to a bunch of emails and, you know, instead I'm hanging out with the family. But ultimately, I find that our family is far happier and it feels more connected when I try to take them to as many venues as possible they're not here in tahoe with me but we were just in park city for the past week together i was mm -hmm. speaking at a conference in park city they just come with me they hang out in the hotel room they go mm -hmm. on their own adventures we come together at the end of the day we have breakfast together in the morning so i travel with my family we have family dinners and then when we are at home so i have something called a life book a life book is amazing it is a process that you go through and you could google this where you actually define what your beliefs and your values are for 12 different categories of life, such as your financial category, your character category, what character traits do you hold dear? Uh, you know, like conscientiousness or gratitude or radical honesty. You know, those are, those are three examples of, of, of several of the character traits that are listed in the character section of my life book. You know, from a financial perspective, you know, that, you know, one example would be like, you know, I, I value the ultimate combination of protection and also uh, production, meaning like I pay the, the highest fee possible for health insurance, life insurance, home insurance, everything. I'm protected to the hilt. Mm -hmm. And that's important to me. That That's part of my financial strategy. Um, and then you get to the family and the parenting category. You know, there's a love category. And I have strategies and beliefs and values spelled out for each. But um, two of them are that twice a month, I actually schedule a time to take my wife on a date like twice a month. And, and there's no questions asked like that. That is scheduled. I have a personal assistant who identifies the evenings that those are going to take place. She makes the restaurant reservation. We go on a date. Boom. And, and sometimes we'll have a hotel. Sometimes uh, the kids will go to a babysitter and stay at the babysitter overnight. So the wife and I can come home and have a romantic staycation. But there, there's twice a month my wife and I can deeply and intimately connect. Mm -hmm. And it has to be scheduled. Same thing for my kids. So each of my kids I take on a date once every two weeks. And separately it's a, it's a restaurant yep or separately yeah. restaurant especially with twins playing. it's hard yeah. because sometimes you're treated yeah. as just like a couplet a yeah yeah exactly <laughs> getting them off and doing something with them it's a non-negotiable so those are three examples family dinner you travel with the family and you actually schedule and set aside time for one-on-one -on -one time with each member of your family and usually that's a that's a date or some kind of a you know it can be like a hike it can be you know sometimes my wife and i will slip away and our date is we're we're playing tennis and then like go on a little hike together and going home mm -hmm. right like, so it doesn't have to be a dinner right but those are those are a few of the things i like it yeah. very cool. good yeah. What's the future for Ben? What's going? What's coming up for you? Uh, I am putting the finishing touches on a book right now. It's over a thousand pages long, over Whoa. three thousand scientific references. It's like, 
it's a it's a tome. It's going to be like an eight and a half by eleven, six hundred plus page hardcover, big, huge, sixty plus dollar price point coffee table book. But it is the ultimate guide to longevity and health and anti aging and beauty and symmetry and just everything that goes into creating the the ultimate body and brain. So I'm working on that. I am uh, uh, still working pretty intensively on my fantasy fiction series. Uh, editing and finishing up the, I've published the first book last year, but I came back to it and I'm changing up the storyline a little bit mm-hmm. about halfway through writing the second book. So doing a lot of writing and then developing that flagship longevity formula for Keon. Those are a few of the things I'm keeping busy with. So we'll look forward yeah. to it. Just a few things. Yeah. Just a few things. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I'm so well, glad we got so to talk to you. It's been an honor. I told you earlier when we were out there, I was like, Ben has been like the, po- he's the podcast godfather right. in my mind. Would you agree? <laughs> I mean, you've been Thank doing you. it for a fucking long time. <laughs> Does that mean I need to talk with the Italian accent? Like the yeah. If we could actually yeah. restart the interview and have you talk like that the whole time, that yeah. would be helpful. I'm going to send you a horse's head. <laughs> So where can everybody find you? Uh, you don't have to say it. Yeah, it's Ben Green. Ben Green for fitness.com. <laughs> That's my like Rocky Balboa. Um, all right, cool. Adrian! <laughs>